What is up, everybody out there in podcast land? It is Valentine's Day. Happy Heart Day, all you lovers out there. That's the official statement on this holiday, this fake faux holiday. From your favorite politically incorrect podcast, Sports Frenzy 2.0. I'm not bitter. No, I'm not bitter. I'm the maestro Kevin Crane. Glad to have you aboard as we always are. Each and every late Wednesday, early Thursday, and of course with the weekend edition, your Saturday morning hangover cure. Every Saturday morning, I feel like we should do a special episode this week. Thursday morning, hangover cure. With all the hearts broken and the misery that love causes today. But instead, you get this. You get sports. You get us ranting and raving about the stupidity, idiocy, and of course, the greatness in the world of sports. Now, Dave, of course... My brother from another mother, the conquistador Dave Hyde, is off today. Not just because of the whole lovey-dovey thing. There's religious stuff going on. It's just a good week for him to take off. So, yes, you're stuck with me in the arguably the most boring week in the world of sports every year, but don't worry. I have got plenty to liven things up. We will go through the Super Bowl, recap what happened there. We'll look ahead to the Daytona 500 this Sunday. We, of course, have a few dumbasses. Most of this episode will be NFL. And just keep that in mind because that's probably the last time we're going to be saying that for at least three or four months. Now, of course, we do have the draft. We do have free agency coming up. So you'll get an occasional blip on the radar when it comes to the NFL. But this is probably the last week for a while where the NFL holds court. So, of course, we start with Super Bowl 58. The Kansas City Chiefs come back and win in overtime, 25-22. to Now, it's been a few days, so I'm not going to bore you with the same takes that all the other sports pundits out there have been throwing at you, but we'll look at some of the unusual things. Check out the weekend edition where we break down the Super Bowl ads. We save that for our pop culture and entertainment episode. But of course, we've got the Hall of Fame to talk about. A great, great, great year for the Bears. We've got all the awards from the 23-24 season to discuss. But again, let's look at the game. I don't think Kyle Shanahan did anything wrong with his choice to take the ball first in overtime. I find it amazing that people 
didn't, they got they have no clue about the overtime rules. Yes, they have changed a lot over the last handful of years. But I've got to believe that there are enough football fans out there who pay attention to rules changes that they knew that things ever since the Bills Chiefs game a few years ago, they wanted to find a way to make sure in the playoffs both teams got the ball. Both teams had a shot at getting the ball on offense and scoring. And this whole faux controversy about, well, nobody knew the rules. This person on the 49ers didn't know the rules. Supposedly, this coach didn't know the rules. I don't believe that for a second. Yes, there are plenty of ignorant fans out there who probably didn't know the rules. Who are more interested in Usher getting married after the game or Taylor Swift and the beautiful gorgeous Blake Lively up there in the luxury boxes rooting on Travis Kelsey who basically came about two seconds away from being arrested for assault on his coach. But I digress. So You can argue Kyle Shanahan made the wrong choice. You can argue he made the right choice. I don't see it being really wrong either way. If he defers, then yes, he knows what his team has to do when they get the ball back. But taking the ball first means he gets to dictate the rest of the game. He gets to dictate whether the Chiefs can play conservative and go for a field goal or go for a touchdown with a two-point conversion, which is something I was hearing a lot of today, is that Andy Reid was going to go for two if he had to. If San Francisco had gone down, scored a touchdown first, and then the Chiefs come back, score a touchdown, Reid was going to go for two. Win or lose the game right then and there. So I think this is kind of a controversy about nothing. Dull game in the first half. I don't think you can argue that. Very dull game in the first half. A little bit sloppy if you want to look at turnovers. Of course, the muff punt was the big turnover, but... You could also look at Christian McCaffrey, even though he had a phenomenal game otherwise. His fumble on that opening drive killed, killed the momentum right away for the the 49ers, even though they still held on, got a double-digit lead later on in the game. that, That was a killer, an absolute killer. The way the 49ers marched down the field to start the game, They were heading for a touchdown, and that would have really been a gut punch to the Chiefs. But these are the things. This is why they play 60 minutes, or in this case, a lot more. 
every play matters. doesn't matter if it's the fourth quarter, overtime, first quarter, third quarter. Every play matters. The analytics geeks who say that momentum isn't a thing. They're ridiculous. They are stupid beyond belief. And in a lot of cases, they destroy our sports that we love. And yes, I'm a bitter old school fan. Look how many coaches over the last few years lost their jobs because they keep going for it on fourth and two, fourth and three, fourth and five, because the numbers say you should. The analytics geeks say you should. Screw the analytics geeks. They're idiots. They're nerds. They never played these games, probably for the most part. Go with your gut. Go with instinct. Go with momentum. And the momentum shifts and changes in this Super Bowl, for the most part, revolved around turnovers. Now, both teams had two turnovers. So you look at it in that sense, oh, it's pretty even. Not when you look at the two turnovers the 49ers had and how impactful they were. Now, we're going to look in hindsight, based on some of the things we've heard over the last day or two after the Super Bowl, News just came out as we're taping here late afternoon on Valentine's Day, February the 14th. Steve Wilkes, defensive coordinator for the 49ers, has been fired after one season. And if you think that's shocking, you haven't been watching the 49ers this year. And they have been on national TV a hell of a lot. And I'm talking here from the Sports Frenzy Studios in the upper Midwest. And I think I have seen my fair share of the 49ers this year, probably counting the playoffs at least 13 games, 14 games with the 49ers involved. That defense underperformed. They came out hot in the Super Bowl. But if you, you give that little speech, you, you talk to the media like Steve Wilkes did, and you say, well, we didn't perform well enough. We've got to step it up. We've got to do better. And okay, you lit a fire under their asses for a quarter, two quarters. Can you sustain that momentum? Can you sustain that energy? Even Chase Young, who has been a bum for the 49ers ever since they acquired him from the Commanders. He has been a bum, played fairly well in the first half of the Super Bowl. But this defense did not play up to the level that they could have, that they should have. And of course, you're not going to deny D'Amico Ryan's his shot at being a head coach. Of course, he left after last year, took the head coaching job with the Texans. He is doing a phenomenal job. We'll talk more about him later. 
but I don't see this defense playing as, I won't say poorly, but it is underwhelming as they played, especially in the second half of the season and the postseason, as they did under Steve Wilkes. So no shock that the 49ers fired Steve Wilkes as their defensive coordinator. Now they're behind the eight ball now. They're behind the game because everybody else has already got their coordinators and their staffs for the most part filled out. So now unless John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan already have a plan in place for who they want to take over that defense, it's going to be a little bit of a tricky proposition to bring in a top-level talent to fill that role. Now, the good thing is it is a prestige position right now with a lot of great players on that side of the ball. And, of course, ridiculous little side story, but I was in the grocery store of all places the other day hearing a couple guys, one of them an employee of the store and another a customer, talking about the Super Bowl. And I, there, I have to tell you, I was, I had to hold myself back. It, you know, you know how the grocery store is, unless you live in some bougie neighborhood where half the people who come through the doors are buying sushi. You know what kind of people you're dealing with. The commoners, you're dealing with the miscreants of the world. So as I'm, and I'm probably one of them. And you are too. I'm wandering down the aisles. Not exactly uh, dressed to parte, let's put it that way. Baseball cap, winter coat. Hear these guys talking. And I so much wanted to jump in because they were so wrong in their analysis of the 49ers. So wrong. Now, I don't know which of the two guys, the two gentlemen, was saying it, but, oh, the 49ers are in trouble now because they can't afford to keep all these guys. We have talked about this. Dave and I have talked about this for weeks and months. The fact that Brock Purdy makes no money as the quarterback. And now the fact that would you really want to keep Chase Young? They're fine. They can keep everybody on that team. Yes, they might have to dump Chase Young. Maybe one other roster cut. Even if they want to give Brock Purdy some kind of a bonus or a raise, they don't have to. He's still got two years left on that deal where he signed at the very end of the draft as Mr. Irrelevant. That's what's enabling the 49ers to put together this all-star roster. And I so much wanted to jump into the conversation and say, you're fucking stupid. You don't understand how the salary cap works. Brock Purdy is making nothing. He might be a household name now after the way he's played the last year and a half, but he makes no money. He will eventually. And we can flip this around and look at the Kansas City Chiefs in the same light. Their quarterback 
makes a shit ton of money. Roughly $50 million a year. And that's why Chris Jones is probably going to go away. That's why they had to let Tyreek Hill go. But the structure is in place. The coaching staff is in place. By the way, Steve Spagnolo, absolutely, after an absolutely phenomenal year, coaching up that defense, gets a much-deserved extension to stick around with Kansas City and run that defense. But it's almost apples and oranges, even though both teams are great. The front offices have to approach the teams different ways. John Lynch has a lot more flexibility because of Brock Purdy, whereas the Chiefs kind of have to make tough decisions each and every year. Again, the difference, defensive coordinator, one gets fired, one gets an extension. Head coach, one wins his third Super Bowl, the other one still looking for his first, having to answer questions about his coaching decisions in yet another Super Bowl. So if you see me walking down the street or in the supermarket, you want to talk sports, you can stop me anytime. I really wanted to get in on that that conversation. But again, it would have gone badly because I would have told them, you're both fucking idiots. Not bad, bad, awful, awful news today. Of course, the Chiefs had their victory parade in Kansas City. And Dave and I have touched on this at times when it comes up, whether it's here on the sports edition or on the weekend edition, about gun violence. Now, to different degrees, Dave and I both believe in the right to bear arms. Dave, much more so than I do. Because I think we're getting to the point now where we've got to do something. We have got to, I I don't know if we need to restrict gun ownership to only people above a certain IQ level with no criminal records whatsoever. But we've got to do something because now we had a, a mass shooting at the Kansas City Victory Parade today for the Chiefs. At the time I'm recording this, we have one dead, nine hurt, including children. And that is unacceptable. Now, I'm not going all loopy, nutsy, cuckoo liberal on you. Because I also believe that you ban guns from everybody, the bad guys, the criminals, will always find a way to get them because they're criminals. Easy peasy lemon squeezy doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Criminals will always find a way. So you cannot take the right to protect yourself away from the common, good, law-abiding citizen. But we've got to find some middle ground. Whether it's more stringent background checks, I don't know. 
but you shouldn't live in fear of going to a victory parade for your team who just won the Super Bowl. And that's a shame, and that's a tragedy beyond words. Now, of course, we cannot go without talking about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Now, I mentioned earlier, just alluded to it. Shocking development on the sidelines with Travis Kelsey pretty much getting shut down completely in the first half. I believe he had one catch. In the first half, yelling at and bumping into his head coach, Andy Reid. Yes, there's the heat of the moment. Yes, they've worked together for years and years. They know each other. Nobody's saying that this was a a deeply rooted, antagonistic move. It was a heat of the moment passionate thing, but still wrong beyond belief. And you can say what you want about the the wonderful romance between Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. And I know if you distill it down, they really don't show her all that much on TV during Chiefs games. Less than a minute of her on screen during the Super Bowl. So I'm not going there per se, but I will say this. Isn't it remarkable? If you look at all the games, ever since this relationship became public and she started showing up at Chiefs games, how Travis Kelsey became unbelievably schizophrenic on the field was not the consistent Hall of Fame, possibly greatest tight end ever over the last half of the season and the playoffs. Now we see sideline behavior from him recently that you could also call schizophrenic, moody, violent, one minute, gleeful the next. I'm just saying, there's something weird about the uh, the impact this relationship is having on him as a football player. Now, maybe next year, once he gets into it, gets used to the publicity, if they get married, whatever, he settles down, maybe he retires, or at least comes back with a cooler head on his shoulders. But I was a little bit disturbed not just with the one interaction with Andy Reid, but his overall play and behavior over the last half of the season. Now, interesting, interesting story that I read a few days before the Super Bowl that I'm going to pass along to you because I have a feeling a lot of you did not know this because I would assume most of the audience, you're not Swifties, and I'm not a Swiftie. But this 
looking back now after we've seen the results of the Super Bowl with the Chiefs winning. I got this off of Yahoo Sports. Taylor Swift's lucky number has been 13 ever since she was born on December the 13th, 1989. So, let's look at some interesting numbers from this Super Bowl that might tell you there was something more at work beyond just the football gods. Super Bowl 58, of course is the game that was just played. What is five plus eight? 13. The game was played on February the 11th, otherwise known as 2-11. Two plus 11, 13. Chiefs played, of course, the 49ers. What is four plus nine? 13. Niners were a one seed in the NFC, where the Chiefs were a three seed in the AFC. Put the one and the three together. What do you get? Yes. Yes. Creep me out. 13. Final one. I'm going to pass along to you. The Super Bowl was the 13th game that Taylor Swift has attended with the Kansas City Chiefs ever since her romance with Travis Kelsey became public. I'm sorry, kids. That shit blows my mind. I don't know. I'm a big conspiracy person. I don't believe things are fixed. I don't believe the games are fixed, at least in the NFL. The NBA is another matter altogether, but that's some crazy, goofy, weird-ass shit right there with the number 13 in Taylor Swift. All right. Let's talk about some of the other stories in the NFL. Interesting candidates for the Cowboys defensive coordinator position. Of course, Dan Quinn left to take over as the head coach of the Washington Commanders. Rex Ryan was interviewed. Sexy Rexy and the foot fetish. But they end up going with former Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer. And as I mentioned, with the 49ers firing Steve Wilkes, the talent pool for these coordinator positions getting thin. Maybe Rex Ryan gets a shot in San Francisco. Again, I know... John Lynch has got to have a plan. That man is too smart to not have a plan. I can't believe they would just fire Steve Wilkes, even though he deserved it, without 
having some kind of an idea of who they could go after to replace him. Oh boy, more international football. The NFL again sticks its middle finger in the face of its fans here in America. And I say this all the time when it comes to celebrities, when it comes to the sports leagues and the athletes that take up a lot of our free time. They don't care about us. Ticket prices skyrocket. They force feed political slogans, politically correct taglines on helmets and in end zones. So let's just put more games overseas and take more opportunities away from the fans here in America to see their favorite game and their favorite athletes live. So Spain will now get an NFL game in the year 2025. Ole! Then, of course, for the Bears fans out there, obviously not a lot to talk about when it comes to the Chicago football team. We get closer to free agency and the draft. Things will perk up for better or for worse. You can tell I don't trust any regime when it comes to the Bears. Will they draft Caleb Williams? Will they somehow pull off a coup? Trade Justin Fields, pick up yet another high draft pick. Maybe get Michael Penix and Marvin Harrison Jr. We shall see. But right now, the only interesting news that even remotely involves the Bears outside of the Hall of Fame, and that's coming, is that once again, the Bears were proven to be idiots as now the guy they moved up one spot in the draft years ago. Remember, moving up from, what, three to two? Panic move to draft Mitchell Trubisky out of North Carolina. Well, Mitchell Trubisky has now been released by the Pittsburgh Steelers, so if you're keeping track at home, Mitch Trubisky has gone through three NFL teams and still has never been able to prove himself as a capable NFL quarterback. I guess it could be worse if one of these teams had picked up Trubisky and he turned out to be very good to great. You could say, well, you really got to blame the coaching staff. They didn't know what to do with him. Now it just looks like Mitchell Trubisky sucks ass. And that still reflects badly on the Bears because they thought he was going to be a great, great top-level quarterback. And again, 
Keep in mind North Carolina. Because I'm scared to death hearing rumors, not from everywhere, but a few places about what the Bears are going to do at the top of the draft here coming up in a few months. And one source, I believe it was Yahoo Sports, in a mock draft here posted recently, says they will take Drake May at number one out of North Carolina. No! Like this ad campaign we had to deal with over the last couple of weeks leading up to the Super Bowl with Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are making changes and people going, no! That's how I feel about drafting Drake May. No! I'd rather keep Justin Fields and build around him. If I those are my only two options, obviously more options are available to the Bears, but it is the Bears, so we hope they don't fuck it up. Go back to the Super Bowl for just a second. Just to let you guys know, and of course Dave and I have talked about this and we're, we're skeptical because every show, every sporting event, record-setting audience, record, think about it. You guys have probably seen the stories just as often as Dave and I have. Every sporting event, not just football, basketball, every sporting event, every show, whether it's on streaming, whether it's, it's on network TV, Oh, most watched ever, most watched Somebody's lying to us because there's no way all of these events and all these shows are the most watched ever. No way. Now, I do say I do believe that this Super Bowl was probably the most watched ever. Now, the numbers came out 123.4 million viewers which is, yes, a record. Most viewers since, believe it or not, the moon landing, which we all know was faked. Just kidding. Kind of. Then something I did not get to discuss last week. My Buccaneers have a new offensive coordinator. Of course, Dave Canales left to take over as head coach of the Carolina Panthers. God bless you. If you make it a year, I'll be shocked. But Liam Cohen is now the new offensive coordinator for the Buccaneers down in Tampa, coming from the University of Kentucky where he was the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach. He is a Sean McVay disciple. It's amazing. Now, I know the roots, the branches go all over the place. But if you look at the league right now, the NFL, and you see how many of these coaches and these coordinators came from the quote-unquote, Sean McVay tree, including Liam Cohen, 
It's amazing. It's amazing. All right, let's move on to the 2023-24 awards in the NFL. Some of these were predictable, some were not. Now, of course, the MVP, everybody saw this coming. Lamar Jackson, his second MVP. I probably would have voted for him, even though I'm not a big fan of his. It was hard to deny the fact that he had a fantastic regular season. And now he's got two MVPs, which I imagine almost certainly makes him a lock for the Hall of Fame, but he'll never, ever, ever be considered one of the top 20, 25 quarterbacks of all time if he does not win a Super Bowl. And I know you can call me a hypocrite because I'm a Dan Marino fan. I get it. That's fine. I would love to have that discussion again if I bump into you in the grocery store and we can debate Marino versus Lamar Jackson, and I will take Marino nine times out of ten. Lamar Jackson still, to me, cannot throw a football at the level of the best quarterbacks ever. Yes, he can run. Yes, he has good instincts. So did Michael Vick. It just, to me, Lamar Jackson just is wasting his talent because it's not quite there yet. And I still don't like the crap he pulled last year because he didn't get his contract extension right away. So he whined and cried and said, oh, I am hurt. I have a boo-boo. I will not play for you in the playoffs. I still think we have brushed that under the carpet way too quickly. I'm old. I hold grudges. And as a a sports fan, uh, that's a grudge I will hold against Lamar Jackson forever. And that's why, again, next year they're talking about putting Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame. We're getting to that in a second because he won two Super Bowls. What the hell did he do otherwise? He was never MVP of the league. Again, you want to look at awards and prizes and Super Bowls. I get it. That's a big part of it. But Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. Okay? That doesn't make him better than Dan Marino. It doesn't make him better than Lamar Jackson, for the love of God. And I'm hit, I'm sitting here railing on Lamar Jackson not being up to the level of a Dan Marino. There's no way in hell Trent Dilfer was up to the level of Lamar Jackson or a Brad Johnson wasn't. You got to balance this all out. You got to use your eyes and use your intellect and what you see on the field. And it's also a team game. You have got to look at the other players around these quarterbacks. 
And I'll be the first to admit, I don't think Baltimore has really surrounded Lamar Jackson with a lot of offensive talent. Offensive player of the year, no-brainer, Christian McCaffrey. 160 total yards in the Super Bowl. Had a, a relatively healthy year. We'll see if we can go two for two on that. And the odds are probably against it given his past history. But well-deserved. Well-deserved. A little bit more questionable defensive player of the year, Miles Garrett. Nobody's denying the talent or how good he is. But I think there there could be some arguments made for some other players. Whether you want to talk about Micah Parsons. There were other, other players out there that you can make a case for when it comes to defensive player of the year. But it goes to Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns. Another award that goes to Cleveland. Coach of the Year. Now, this was unbelievably, unbelievably tight. Kevin Stefanski of the Browns wins Coach of the Year. Basically tied with D'Amico Ryans. We we talked about him and the unbelievable job he did this year with the Houston Texans. But because Stefanski got one more first-place vote, when you factor in first, second, third place votes, do the grand total, they were tied, but the tiebreaker was first place votes. Stefanski got one more than D'Amico Ryans. So Kevin Stefanski wins coach of the year. And I'm okay with it. I, I think this is pretty much spot on. Those two were neck and neck all year, did Great, great jobs with their respective teams. D'Amico Ryans happened to have the Offensive Rookie of the Year in quarterback C.J. Stroud and the Defensive Rookie of the Year with Will Anderson Jr. So that might have helped his cause a little bit. Whereas Kevin Stefanski had to go through four quarterbacks, finally settling on the Comeback Player of the Year. Joe Flacco. And I'm fine with that pick. The DeMar Hamlin story, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know that was a spooky, scary incident at the end of last season. And just the fact he's walking around is a great comeback story, but he made no impact on the football field this year. Joe Flacco at least came back and got the Browns into the playoffs while sitting at home on his couch. So we can all praise DeMar Hamlin for his courage and his guts fighting himself back into shape, into life. But let's actually talk about the sport itself. He was not impactful at all on the field. It's a feel-good story, and I hate feel-good stories. Yeah, I am admitting it. 
I hate feel-good stories. Whether it's movies, whether it's books, whether it's in sports, real life, I hate feel-good stories. Because there's usually some kind of an agenda behind said feel-good story. Moving on to the Hall of Fame, the Football Hall of Fame, of course. The new class announced before the Super Bowl. Great and glorious day for the Chicago Bears. About time we got some much-needed good news. Seven new members of the Football Hall of Fame, including two Chicago Bears legends and another player who may be more well-known for another team but still contributed significantly for a few years to the Chicago Bears. But the legendary, the two legendary guys who we all consider Bears, Devin Hester, greatest return man of all time, finally gets in the Hall of Fame, and another member from the greatest football team of all time, the 1985 Chicago Bears, Steve Mongo McMichael is in the Football Hall of Fame. Let's hope his health holds out and he can be at the ceremony, the enshrinement. Very, very poor health right now for Mongo. So we are praying for you, Steve. You get there. You make it through. We want you. We need you at that ceremony. Then, of course, the other member of the Football Hall of Fame, the new class, who I'm referring to, who contributed a little bit to the Bears, but more well-known for his time with the Carolina Panthers, was, of course, Julius Peppers. Another sack meister, Dwight Freeney, predominantly of the Colts makes it into the Hall of Fame. Patrick Willis, shorter career, but very impactful with the 49ers. Patrick Willis is in the Hall of Fame. Randy Gratishar, old schoolers like me know him. The one I have a problem with, not so much because he's not deserving, but because We have talked year after year on this podcast about the glut, the backlog that we have at the wide receiver position when it comes to Hall of Famers. Torrey Holt needs to be in the Hall of Fame from the greatest show on turf. That St. Louis Rams team with Kurt Warner and Isaac Bruce, Marshall Falk, Torrey Holt needs to be in the Hall of Fame, but somehow he gets passed over, and instead they go with one receiver, and it ends up being Andre Johnson. I don't, again, talk about the impact of the player in the game. Okay? What did Andre Johnson really ever do? 
he accumulated statistics. In many ways, I know Calvin Johnson for the, the Lions is in the Hall of Fame now. Calvin Johnson's numbers are a little bit more impressive, but still, same type of thing. What did these players do in terms of elevating their team? What did they do? The Texans have really never gotten that far in their history in the playoffs. The Lions never got that far with Calvin Johnson in the playoffs. When they actually made the playoffs, I think at some point you have got to separate, use success as a tool of separation. Not just, sorry, term Dave and I like to use, a stat whore. And I'm sorry, Andre Johnson is a stat whore. He's a a compiler. He's an accumulator. That's all he is. Yes, the stats are impressive, but again, what did the Texans do with him as one of the top receivers in the league? Nothing. Nothing. Torrey Holt at least won a Super Bowl and was part of one of the better, I won't say greatest, but one of the better teams of all time with that St. Louis Rams squad. So I have problems with Andre Johnson getting in ahead. Not getting in, but getting in ahead of the likes of Torrey Holt. All right, let's move on to the college game. Interesting hiring by the University of Michigan for their new defensive coordinator. They take Wink Martindale, who was, some would say, dismissed, some would say resigned as the defensive coordinator of the New York Giants in the NFL. Now, my question is, given a lot of the things we've heard about Wink Martindale, he's very gruff, very abrasive. How is he going to get along with college kids? So I'm wondering, wondering how this is going to work. Now, Ohio State, of course, one of the top, let's say top five football programs in the U.S. This is a very interesting backstory here. Now, you would think UCLA, being the head coach at UCLA, would be prestigious enough. And Chip Kelly had some very, very positive years, some very, very good success with the Bruins. But what I heard is that Chip Kelly does not like the transfer portal and does not have the backing of his boosters when it comes to NIL money to secure the top-level talent he feels that they need. Now, of course, UCLA moving to the Big Ten this year, along with USC. 
So Chip Kelly decides he has a better future taking the job as Ohio State's offensive coordinator, better positioned for success in the future, doing this than staying as the head coach of UCLA. What does that tell you about where we're going with college sports, especially college football? Now you might ask, what happened with the Ohio State offensive coordinator position? Remember we talked last week about it, and it did come to pass. The dominoes fell a certain way. Bill O'Brien had committed to being the Ohio State offensive coordinator, but he was offered and accepted the position as head coach at Boston College. So just think about that for a second, kids. Bill O'Brien says, I would rather be the head coach at Boston College than be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. Whereas Chip Kelly says, I would rather be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State than the head coach at UCLA. That uh, that boggles my mind. I, I would tend to think that the UCLA job would be better than the Boston College job. Yet Chip Kelly says, I don't want that. I'll take the OC job with the Buckeyes. Whereas Bill O'Brien says, no, I want to be the head man, even if it's with Boston College. Interesting. Very interesting. Here locally, Notre Dame gets a commitment from the son of Plaxico Burris. Wide receiver Elijah Burris will be coming to play for the Fighting Irish. Now we talked about UCLA. They obviously had to scramble to find a new head coach given Chip Kelly's departure. They go with Deshaun Foster, former NFL running back. He will take over as the head man with UCLA, as I mentioned, heading to the Big Ten from the imploded Pac-12. And then finally, another person backing out of a big-time position. We talked about Bill O'Brien backing out of the Ohio State offensive coordinator job. Ryan Grubb had the offensive coordinator job with Alabama. It was his. Now, this is a little more understandable, although sweet, sweet gig. No doubt, Alabama OC, but he got to go to the NFL. Ryan Grubb will take over as the offensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. So there you go, kids. Football, football, football here. Been going on for about an hour about nothing but football. Now, I hope you like this new nonstop format. Get used to it because we're not going back. We're just going to keep running through. You can pause the podcast when you want. If you have to go to the bathroom to go grab a beer, whatever, 
we'll let you decide when to stop and when to come back to us. We're not going to force feed you breaks anymore. There's some changes coming in the next couple months. Nothing that really should affect the podcast any way that you would notice. But uh, we're going to have to basically record the podcast in a different way. So kind of kind of uh, very smart on our part, Dave and I, to decide to go with this nonstop format. This will work a lot better for us and hopefully for you moving forward. Now, for now, of course, you found us somewhere, but keep in mind you have options and choices. Sports Frenzy 2.0 is available on Spotify, Google, Radio Public. Unfortunately, with Radio Public, only until March the 31st, and they're shutting down. We're still on Pocket Cast, Apple, Overcast, CastBox, Amazon Music, Audible, and iHeartRadio. Then, of course, there is the Facebook page where you can find links to each and every sports episode and weekend edition episode. We will also, throughout the year, post our football picks. Obviously not for a while now. Baseball picks coming up soon. And NASCAR picks. Daytona 500 picks are already out there. Now, Dave and I talked about those picks last week, so check out last week's Sports Edition if you want to hear our breakdown of the Daytona 500. Of course, Daytona, a little bit different than any other race, kind of like the Super Bowl where they stretch things out over a couple weeks. So, here on Valentine's Day, I am about three hours, three and a half hours away from knowing who the poll sitter will be. They are running qualifying for the poll and the second position. Again, very unique how Daytona does things. Top two positions will be determined as I'm taping here later tonight. Then, of course, they run the duels, which are tomorrow night, Thursday, February the 15th, to determine the rest of the starting grid. So next week, Dave and I will be full force getting into the start of the 2024 NASCAR season. Now let's move on to baseball, where we're about, oh, let's say six weeks away from the start of the season and pitchers and catchers reporting here over the next few days. If it wasn't for the fucking Dodgers, I'd be excited. Plus the fact the Cubs are still sitting on their hands for the most part. I have a feeling they're they're trying to outlast Scott Boris when it comes to bringing back Cody Bellinger. So yes, we're all waiting on Scott Boris, that asshat, and his four big clients who still have not signed. Of course... I mentioned Cody Bellinger, Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell, and Chapman. Those four guys are sitting out there still waiting for the big money contracts. And again, we're we're looking at pitchers and catchers reporting already. And this has now become 
the typical pattern, especially when it comes to Scott Boris and his clients. Yes, somebody will blink and give a big money deal to one or two of these guys, but I really think in many ways he does his clients a disservice because the other ones will have to go on shorter-term deals with opt-outs, prove-it deals, because Scott Boris is more concerned about making what he thinks are funny little puns and limericks in press conferences instead of actually giving two rip shits about his clients. And, of course, we know he doesn't care one goddamn whit about the game of baseball. And that's why he is evil. Scott Boris is evil. So would it shock me if the Cubs do not sign Cody Bellinger? No. But I'm worried about it because there's still a need for a bat in that lineup and at least one or two more arms in the bullpen. Now, the one signing this week that really worries me because this could have been a very good opportunity for the Cubs to force Boris's hand when it came to Bellinger. But the thing about the, the egos of these front offices, doesn't matter if we're talking football, baseball, basketball, especially, especially baseball, they don't like to admit mistakes. We let this guy walk years ago. We traded him away years ago. And now he's back out there available again after going somewhere else and having success. We're not bringing him back because that would mean we're kind of admitting we were wrong. And again, it's the worst in baseball. By far the worst in baseball. The San Francisco Giants signed former Cub Jorge Soler to a three-year, $42 million deal. If you do the math, kids, that's $14 million a year for a guy who is one of the biggest bats when it comes to home runs in the league. And the Cubs had him, and they let him go. And somehow, some part of my brain thinks they just don't want to admit they made a mistake, like they did with Kyle Schwarber, letting him go to a lesser extent, like they did with letting Anthony Rizzo go. Now, they will look at the fact they let Javier Baez go and Chris Bryant go and say, look, we were right about them, but you were wrong about the other two. Okay, yes, you could say batting 500 is phenomenal, not in the case of personnel moves in the front office. So Jorge Soler goes to the Giants for $14 million a year over three years. Would have liked to have seen him come in as the DH for the Cubs. And again, that would have been leverage against Scott Boris to tell him, hey, we don't necessarily need Cody Bellinger. Drop the price a little bit and we can talk. 
So now the options lessen for the Cubs. J.D. Martinez is still out there. Once he is taken off the table, then the Cubs are screwed. Because it's Bellinger or it's nobody. The Cubs' division rivals, the Brewers, keep making moves, trying to somehow piece together a decent team after letting Corbin Burns go, trading him in probably the biggest trade of the offseason to the Baltimore Orioles. So they bring in Jacob Eunice, believe formerly of the Cardinals, another division rival on a one-year deal, supposedly, and I cannot for some reason get confirmation on this because it happened almost a week ago, but nobody will confirm a contract signing. Supposedly the Brewers, though, are bringing in catcher Gary Sanchez as well. Now we talked about Lamar Jackson. We talked about two MVPs. And we talked about, well, that pretty much locks him in for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, despite the fact he hasn't done a heck of a lot in the playoffs in the postseason. Well, in baseball, Corey Kluber has retired. Let me just draw something of a comparison, okay? Something of a comparison. I don't think it's apples to oranges, but it's not not quite apples to apples either. Corey Kluber won two Cy Young Awards. Basically the MVP for the pitcher. Yes, you can win the MVP as a pitcher. I get that. But Corey Kluber won two Cy Young Awards. Career ERA of 3.44. Only 116 wins. Versus 77 losses, so... Not a terrible win-loss percentage, but again, nobody's putting Corey Kluber into the Baseball Hall of Fame anytime soon. But he won the most prestigious award for pitchers twice. Just something to think about. Now, a guy, a pitcher who is a lock for Cooperstown one day is Justin Verlander. Of course, going back to the Astros, talking like he wants to pitch for another couple years, thinking he can make it to 43. Speaking to Kenny Rogers, not the gambler, but Kenny Rogers, the former Major League Baseball pitcher who pitched until he was 43 trying to find out his secrets to longevity in the game of baseball. But not getting off to a great start here in 2024 is Justin Verlander. Got some shoulder issues that are putting him, as he says, behind schedule. May not be ready for opening day. I think the Astros are in good enough shape They can be patient. I don't think anybody is freaking out about this if Verlander has to 
sit out the month of April even, I think the Astros will be just fine. Now, we talked about Kansas City, the Chiefs, and of course their success, three Super Bowls here in the last five years. How about the Kansas City Royals kind of trying to piggyback off of the Chiefs? The only two top-level sports franchises in Kansas City are the Chiefs and the Royals. Now, both have had success fairly recently, obviously the Chiefs, but the Royals, remember, they were winning a World Series here not all that long ago. The problem is their model, like a lot of the middle to lower tier teams when it comes to payroll in Major League Baseball, build up a young core of players, get the most out of them while you can, and then let them walk or trade them. And that's what Kansas City did. But they got a, they got a World Series out of it. They got rings out of it. They got a trophy. Of course, Rob Manfred calls it a hunk of tin the most prestigious award in all of baseball. That shows you what kind of a dipshit he is. But the Royals are trying to parlay this resurgence, thanks to the Chiefs, of Kansas City as a kind of, sort of, hotbed of sports. So they're looking at a new stadium for the Royals in 2028. They've got renderings out there. Doing my research on this, pictures look great, everything looks great except the one thing I couldn't get out of my my reading, my research, do they actually have financing locked in to actually build this stadium? Pretty important stuff. So, if I find out more, I will pass it along to all of you. Then finally in baseball, good news for the Texas Rangers. They they have got one of the youngest, best players in the league. Flew under the radar pretty much until this past year when they won the trophy. They got their rings. They won the World Series. Adolis Garcia. This tells you how young he is when it comes to baseball. He is still under control still going through arbitration with the Rangers despite the phenomenal year he put up. Good news is Rangers and Adolis Garcia bypass arbitration. Garcia agrees to a two-year $14 million deal. I know does not sound like a lot, but again, this is the economic system when it comes to Major League Baseball, for better or for worse. Now, he can reach, I believe, just above $20 million with certain incentives reached over this deal. Trust me, if he stays healthy, and I know that's an if, but if he stays healthy, he will cash in a few years down the road. He will get paid. Paid. 
because he is damn good. And again, like I said, he kind of flew under the radar. I've been keeping an eye on him, being the fantasy baseball geek that I am. I've been looking at his numbers the last couple of years. I knew he was really good. And now finally, Bruce Bochy comes in and that team elevates to the next level. Now everybody knows how good Adolis Garcia is. All right, moving on to the NBA. We're heading into the All-Star break. This coming Friday through next Thursday, the 22nd. Play will resume next Thursday, February the 22nd. So they have got a long, long break because they need all the rest they can get. Load management's not enough. They need even more time off. So let's give them an even longer all-star break off because they need to rest. I hate the NBA. We only cover it as a service to you. Trade deadline came and went over the last seven days. Not really a bunch of stunning, fantastic, notable moves. I guess the biggest names involved. Gordon Hayward moves from the Charlotte Hornets to the OKC Thunder. And because of all the injuries and the players they've got who are banged up, the Knicks had to bring in some reinforcements. So the Knicks acquire Bojan Bogdanovic and Alec Burks, who used to play with the Knicks. They get those two players from the Detroit Pistons. And then my Orlando Magic still playing fairly well, but I would like to see them just get a little bit better, get out of that play-in tournament area in the standings. Looking at their schedule the rest of the year once they get back from the All-Star break, a couple tough games right out of the gate, but after that, they should be good to go. I hope they can get to that sixth slot, maybe even the fifth slot, which would be a huge win for them with that young team. Don't want to see him in the play-in tournament, but the Magic are 29-25 and 25 right now, playing the Knicks, the banged-up Knicks tonight in Orlando. Hopefully they go into the All-Star break with 30 wins and some momentum. Now, unfortunately, they lost... Tuesday night to the Oklahoma City Thunder. No shame in that, even though it was a home game. The OKC Thunder are very good. But more importantly, the first number ever retired by the Orlando Magic was, of course, the number 32 of one, Shaquille O'Neal. I was fortunate enough to see him play once or twice live, up close, and in person. Well, not up close. I was up in the the upper deck at back then, the O-Rena. Um, but Shaq's always been one of my favorite players of all time, right behind Dr. J. And very, very happy that the Magic decided to 
retire his number. Of course, Shaq now becomes one of a few players in NBA history to have his number retired by three teams. Joining Wilt Chamberlain, Pistol Pete Maravich, and of course, Bill Russell, whose number is retired by all teams. On the college hoop scene, I just this breaks my heart. This breaks my heart. It's a good story, and then it turned into a bad story very quickly thereafter. Indiana State, the Sycamores, ranked for the first time in the AP poll. Since 1979, when the poll came out this past week, ranked number 23. And then what did they do? Yes, they proceeded to lose and lose badly at home. Last night, February the 13th, to Illinois State. Ah! Ah! UConn, of course, still number one, followed by Purdue in the AP poll. Locally, Notre Dame 8-16, and and my Miami Hurricanes continue to flounder after a strong start to the season. They are headed, as I said last week, no doubt, to the NIT. Tough game tonight. I believe they're playing Clemson. Right now they're 15 and 9, probably looking at 15 and 10. Still have to play Duke and North Carolina. So again, Hurricanes, despite the fact they made the final four in the NCAA tournament last year, this year, probably NIT bound. Then Ohio State fired their head coach today, Chris Holtman. Now, Ohio State, as you know, with the football program demand the highest level of excellence and they have had some success with the basketball team on and off over the years but right now you could tell they just know they weren't heading in the right direction so ohio state fires head coach chris holtman i'll do this for dave the blackhawks 14 36 and 3 31 points Unfortunately, still last in the entire NHL when it comes to points. Good news, Connor Bedard, their sensational rookie, should be back very soon. I thought this would be coming out sooner, but again, we talked about the announcement last week of this massive sports streaming service where we're bringing in. ESPN and Fox and Warner Brothers Discovery. So maybe that's the reason why ESPN's standalone streaming service, which we thought we would see this year, has now been delayed from what I have been reading until the fall of 2025. Something that Dave, I man, I wish he was here for this. I know he would... I don't want to say stroke out, but he would get very, very upset, red-faced. 
throbbing, throbbing temples. Because we all know how much he loves streaming. And we all know his reaction when Peacock got that exclusive playoff game here this past season. Well, now guess who gets an exclusive NFL playoff game for the 2024-25 season? Amazon. So Amazon Prime will now get their shot at being the host platform for an exclusive NFL playoff game in 2025, early 2025. Some golf news. This past weekend was one of the bigger tournaments of the year. It's not a major, but it's well-known. Some good reasons, some bad reasons. The Waste Management Phoenix Open. Most notable for its massive crowds, Friday and Saturday crowds each day, upwards of 200,000 people. And they get drunk and they get rowdy. And this year was probably the worst ever. As now we have heard in the aftermath, changes are coming. Golfers, a couple golfers had interactions, not positive interactions with the fans. Because normally, of course, there's golf etiquette. where you are supposed to be quiet to let the golfers concentrate and hit their shots. And it seems like that does not come into play at all at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. So the golfers were getting into it with the fans who were yelling and berating them and, again, drunk off their asses. One woman, reports said, fell at the 16th, which is kind of like a stadium hole with multi-tiered seating. Supposedly this woman fell from one of the upper tiers Luckily, not life-threatening injuries involved, but still. This is why I watch my sports at home. I can enjoy the purity of the game without having to deal with drunken idiots. Number one, drunken idiots who were willing to pay $18, $20, $25 for a beer. When I can sit at home and buy an entire case of beer for that money. And I can go to the bathroom when I want without having to wait in line. Oh, but I'm missing the ambiance. What ambiance? If you guys listen to the weekend edition, Dave and I talk about concerts all the time. And we can barely put up with the people at concerts, even though it's much more expected for people to be drunk and rowdy there than at a golf tournament or another sporting event. And then, of course, my buddy Tiger Woods partnering with TaylorMade to put out his brand of apparel. Now, I can't rip on him necessarily for this because we've seen Jack Nicholas did this, Greg Norman did this. So this is kind of a, a logical 
natural progression. So in and of itself, I don't care. I just don't like Tiger Woods. You know that. The one thing I will say, I don't like the logo. I think the logo is a little pathetic. How they had to work in, of course, it's a tiger, supposedly, kind of, sort of a tiger. I don't think it looks very much like a tiger. But they had to work in enough stripes on said tiger to account for each of Tiger's major victories. You go check it out. You let me know what you think. I think it's pathetic. I think it's a dumb, dumb logo. His marketing people did a terrible job. All right, good news. No moments of silence. From what I can tell, we got a week where we did not lose anybody in the world of sports, anybody legendary, and only a couple dumbasses to wrap things up. But of course, it's got to come from basketball because, for the most part, the dumbasses in the world of sports come from the NBA. Let's talk about hate. Let's talk about racism and hate. And we talked in the past about Gilbert Arenas in this despicable, heinous podcast he's got where he talked about they're taking over our game. Speaking of white European players, and of course he thinks our game means African Americans. Good old racist Gilbert. Well, now he has roped Cheryl Swoops into this. Cheryl Swoops, of course, one of the all-time greats when it comes to women's basketball. Now, we all know about Caitlin Clark at Iowa, and she's going to set the record here any day now. I believe this weekend, actually, she's on pace to set the record for most points scored by a female collegiate player. Now, Cheryl Swoops, of course, is an African-American woman, and she put down on Gilbert Arenas' racist podcast a whole bunch of lies about Caitlin Clark. I will let you do the research on this. It would take me too long to rattle off all the inaccuracies of what Cheryl Swoops said on Gilbert Arenas' racist podcast, but... She talked about Caitlin Clark being a fifth-year senior, which is not true. Talked about how many shots she takes. Just, you kids, you do the research, you look it up. Just take it from me, your Uncle Kev. Cheryl Swoops is now as big of a racist and a dumbass as Gilbert Arenas. Then finally, to wrap up Sports Frenzy 2.0, and don't forget to check out the Weekend Edition. Again, it'll be me solo. Going to look at the recent film, Au revoir, library, output of one Jason Statham. I will also give you my review of the recent Netflix series, Obliterated. We'll also talk some True Detective Night Country. 
Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations, Super Bowl ads, all that good stuff on the weekend edition, your Saturday morning hangover cure. But finally, Dave and I always talk about golf when it comes to the hypocrisy of ripping live golfers and taking the money from the Middle East, from Saudi Arabia. And we talk about the hypocrisy of Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy when they're more than happy to take that same money and then turn around and backstab their fellow golfers who go to live. Well, the NBA is now proven they're a bunch of fucking hypocrites too. They stay silent on all these issues, but does that make them any less culpable? This stupid midseason tournament they just started this past season in late 2023 will now be known as the Emirates Cup. Named after the Dubai-based airline, the refs will be wearing logos immediately, starting All-Star Weekend, to promote and pimp blood money from the Middle East that the golfers hate so much. The NBA Emirates Cup. Idiots. Dumbasses. I'm the maestro. I'll talk to you this weekend, kids. Take care.